save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Hey everybody, today we are debating whether or not God exists, and we are starting right now. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here. Very, very excited for this epic debate. This is, uh, whew, very, honestly, I can't express how thrilled I am. My friend Steven Steen, he called me before, he said, you can't host this, this is, the internet is going to implode, James, you can't host it. I said, he said, I'm afraid. I said, Steven, we got it, it's a risk we have to take. We will cross that bridge when we get there. It's worth it for this. This is how special it is. So we have two titans of debate. These guys are superb. You've seen them before, I'm sure. This is going to be a lot of fun, folks. They're both linked in the description. So that way, if you're listening, you're like, oh, snap. These debaters, they've got some mean game. You can check out more at those links below. So with that, what also if this is your first time here, consider hitting that subscribe button. There's you know, a lot of upcoming debates, including Arn Raw and Dr. Fuzz Rana will be here tomorrow to debate if biology points to God. That will be an exciting one, and whew, many others to come. So don't forget to hit that notification bell if you'd like those reminders. And with that, want to just mention this is going to be a like kind of formal slash informal, where we have 12-minute opening statements, and debaters can use as much or as little of that as they like, and then we'll have an 8-minute rebuttal, followed by 40 minutes of open discussion, and then we'll have Q&A for about 25 minutes. So, it's going to be a great time, and we will have Michael starting first, as he's taking the affirmative on whether or not God exists. So, Glad to have you here, gentlemen. This is always fun. And I'd say, I want to mention, too, that more importantly, these guys are not only superb debaters, very personable. They have not let their success go to their head. They're, they're very real. So I really appreciate having you guys on. Thanks for being here, both of you. You betcha. So with that, Mike, I am pulling up the timer. No problem. It's it should be a green button with an arrow pointing up, and it's, okay, let's see here, then it may be, I'm trying to think of an alternate format, we'll find it, we'll probably know, zoom out. Gotcha. Let me, uh, let me pull that up. So, we've, folks, we are just looking for the, it looks like Zoom did an update, so we're looking for where the uh, share screen button is. We'll be yeah, right I always, there. I gotta update stuff and it always ruins it. So, we are in the process. Let's see. Oh 
Oh, I see two. All right, now. it's back now. I just restarted it. I'm back. So, all right, yeah. I'm ready to share my screen. Wait, I think we need to kick out the other because I see him twice. I do see two of you, Michael. It's almost as if there are. As if you're phone. Oh no, it went away. Okay. <laughs> so thanks for. Yeah, I just had to restart Zoom. So all right, I'll share a screen now. You bet. I got all it up. Right. All right, I'm going to uh, start my timer here. Give me one second here to get this kind of going. Okay. I'm going to hit start here. Okay. Uh, well, all right. I'm happy to have this conversation today. And thank you, Stephen, for agreeing to discuss this. Uh, diving right in, I myself am a classical apologist. So that means I'll be arguing a theistic or deistic worldview is more probable given the evidence. So I don't claim I can prove God exists. And I won't be arguing specifically for Christian theism tonight. I'll be arguing for basic theism or deism. And I'll present two to three arguments that God exists. So the uh, first argument I want to present is the digital physics argument. Let's begin with the data. In several of my videos, I've presented various lines of evidence that space-time is emergent, not fundamental. In the hunt to rectify quantum mechanics with relativity, physicists discovered something known as the holographic principle. Uh, this is a theory which suggests the entire three-dimensional universe can be seen as two-dimensional information. In other words, uh, basically, uh, the whole three-dimensional universe, the particles that make up reality, would emerge from underlying information in quantum field theory. Then, in 2017, a peer-reviewed study published observable evidence for the holographic principle. So, uh, from looking at irregularities in the background radiation, their team found that simple equations of quantum field theory can explain almost all cosmological observations, is a marginally better fit than the standard model, and could potentially explain apparent anomalies. So, this line of evidence suggests the universe, space-time, is not fundamental but emergent. Uh, also, uh, the emergent features of space-time can be seen elsewhere, a study from later that same year argued quantum entanglement is an inevitable feature of reality. To quote directly, they say, we show that any theory with a classical limit must contain entangled states, thus establishing entanglement as an inevitable feature of any theory superseding classical theory. Strengthening this, another study from this year, 2019, found evidence of non-locality even when two particles were not directly entangled. So there was still non-locality even without direct entanglement. Okay, so thus, the information between two particles doesn't seem to be affected by space as it can be transferred instantly. So building on Sean Carroll, this implies space is not fundamental, but for the underlying world of quantum mechanics, but an emergent phenomenon of the classical world that only exists after measurement. So the evidence implies all of space-time is emergent. I can argue the emergent nature of, of matter, space-time from numerous areas, be it quantum mechanics, the holographic principle, Brian Whitworth's features of a virtual reality, or in many other ways. But the idea of space-time is emergent is not and not fundamental is accepted more and more by physicists every day. So physicist Hein Suk Yang says, emergent or emergent space-time is a new fundamental paradigm, quantum gravity. Uh, thus, the most up-to-date evidence suggests all of what we experience, space-time and matter, all seem to be emergent constructs of the classical world, not fundamental aspects of reality. But now the question becomes, what is space-time emergent from and how does this relate to God's existence? Well, essentially, the classical world would emerge from the underlying information or wave function of the quantum realm. However, interestingly enough, the same underlying features have been seen to parallel aspects of the mind or conscious thought processes. In 2009, physicist Diedrich Ertz took this one step further and published a paper learning that our cognitive processes can be readily modeled using the mathematical formulism of quantum mechanics. So, in other words, our inner mental world of thought, quality, emotions can be modeled in terms of Hilbert space and quantum processes the same processes that give rise to space-time and matter. So space-time and matter are emergent from quantum wave function in Hilbert space, and the inner world of consciousness and mind can be modeled via quantum processes in the study of quantum cognition. So this would suggest the evidence implies uh, space-time is emergent, or implies that emergent space-time would be similar or indistinguishable from the same properties of a mind. So the simplest explanation is the universe is just emergent from a mind. If what the universe emerges from resembles a mind, it is far more parsimonious to accept that, that the universe would emerge from mind that we just call God. Uh, this is also backed by the recent work of astrophysicists Franco Vaza and neurosurgeon Alberto Felitti, who wrote an article on the similarities between neural networks and the cosmic web of galaxies. There they show that the properties of neural networks are similar to the cosmic web of galaxies, something we would expect if the universe is emerging from a mind. Uh, so basically, here is a formal representation of the digital physics argument. Uh, to save time, I won't explain the formal syllogism 
but that should be enough starting evidence to suggest our classical universe has emerged from mine. I can come back to this if Stephen wants. Wait, uh, the let next me take a picture of this real quick, sorry. Okay. Okay, go ahead, yeah. So the next argument I wanna present is the cosmic conscious argument. This is named for Eugene Wigner's work. Are you done? Yep, I got it. Okay, this is a cosmic conscious argument. So premise one, contingent minds either have a personal explanation or a natural explanation. This is not too controversial. Almost all theories of mind either hold to reductionist views or believe consciousness is irreducible as it is and would have to come from a fundamental conscious source. Uh, premise two, quantum mechanics and other fields of science imply the natural universe is emergent from information processing and consciousness. This is the most controversial premise, I'd say. I've argued this more extensively in my videos, but essentially numerous experiments in quantum mechanics suggest consciousness plays an important role in wave function collapse and the appearance of material reality. We can get more into this during the discussion section, but essentially experiments such as interaction-free experiments, delayed choice quantum racer experiments, the violation of the legged inequality, and uh, the confirmation of the coach inspector theorem lead to the inference consciousness causes collapse. Here's an interesting study from just this year. Without getting into too much detail, they argue this result lends considerable strength to interpretations of quantum theory already set in an observer-dependent framework and demands for revisions of those which are not. So the evidence implies the observer does play a role in quantum processes. The number one objection, of course, is that interaction or decoherence alone is enough to explain wave function, wave function collapse, that an observer is just a, something that physically interacts with the system. But this is a popular misconception. As one physicist says, does decoherence solve the measurement problem? Clearly not. Clearly not. What decoherence tells us is that certain objects feel classical when they are observed. But what is an observation? At some stage, we still have to apply the usual probability rules of quantum theory. Uh, Maximilian Schlauhauser says, decoherence arises from a direct application of the quantum mechanical formulism to a description of the interaction of a physical system with its environment. By itself, decoherence is neither an interpretation nor a modification of quantum mechanics. And of course, we have observed collapse in experiments without interaction taking place. Thus, as physicists like John von Neumann, Henry Stack, Fred Kuttner, Bruce, Bruce Rosenblut, Bernard Hausch, Richard Kahn Henry, Stephen Barr, Ian Squires, etc., all argue this philosophically leads to the conclusion consciousness ultimately causes collapse. So this is coming from actual physicists. I just want to point that out. So it follows the appearance of material reality is emergent from consciousness, not the other way around. So conclusion one, the natural universe cannot be explained, cannot be the explanation of contingent minds since material reality emerges from consciousness. The explanation of the universe, the explanation of the existence of conscious minds is personal. This personal source is what we call or title God, therefore God exists. So unless uh, someone can demonstrate consciousness is emergent from the brain, and trust me, I'm willing to go over several studies in the field of neuroscience, the most likely explanation is consciousness is irreducible, and thus contingent minds like ourselves would most likely be contingent on a larger consciousness that controls reality and brings other contingent minds into existence, and this is what we call God. Uh, third and finally, I'll present the same line of reasoning via basic philosophy through something called the introspective argument. So premise one, the mind exists. No one with a mind can doubt this, not really controversial. Premise two, the properties of the mind are not that which matter can have. So there have been, there's been no evidence or theory which can show how consciousness or mental properties can reduce to matter. John Sears says, how does a mental reality, a world of consciousness, intentionality, and other mental phenomena fit into a world consisting entirely of physical particles and fields of force? Colin McGuinn says, the problem with materialism is that it tries to construct the mind out of properties that refuse to add up to mentality. So there is simply no evidence consciousness can emerge from matter. All, all neuroscience can show at best is a correlation of causation. However, the properties of matter we experience can easily be reduced to mind, since all of what we experience is a mental world of qualia, sounds, taste. We essentially experience a mental reality, so there's no reason to posit a discrete material world beyond what we experience, and yes, this would be idealism. Keith Ward says it like this, any physicist will say that brains are mostly empty space in which molecules, atoms, electrons, quarks, and other strange particles buzz about in complicated ways. It seems as though physical objects when not being observed have no colors and no sounds, smell, smells, or tastes either. Sounds like colors are not physical events. Neither are smells, tastes, or sensations. Things do not smell like, taste like, or feel like anything when nobody is smelling, tasting, or feeling them. The physical world, it seems, is totally vacuous. No color, sound, smells, tastes, or sensations. What on earth is left? This idea can also be explained via David Hume's uh, bundle theory, which I can elaborate more on later. Interestingly enough, uh, two neuroscientists also recently argued uh, the space and rate of time we experience are also emergent features of the mind, again, correlating with an idealistic worldview. Thus, our first conclusion is mind is not reducible to matter. 
premise three, substance dualism is unnecessary. I would argue from Spinoza's interaction problem, but I, I'm pretty sure Stephen agrees with me on this premise, so we can move on. Uh, thus, conclusion, uh, all is mind. If all is mind, this correlates with pre the two previous arguments, that there is a governing mind that brings us contingent minds into existence to experience and operate in reality. I could present several other arguments for God's existence on top of these. So if Stephen thinks God probably doesn't exist, he has to tear down these arguments and offer a more probable explanation. Not just another possible explanation, but something more probable and parsimonious. Uh, when it comes to the origin of the universe and its emergent features, the existence of consciousness and basic philosophy, one can easily see a theistic hypothesis can explain all this data with one, with one theory. There is a mind behind the universe that we call God. What I've seen in the past from atheists and Stephen like himself is they essentially throw out a bunch of possibilities to counter these arguments from theists, which really is not an argument that a non-theistic explanation is more probable. But if he does this tonight, uh, that would also make the, the non-theistic worldview less parsimonious because I suspect he will have a different explanation for consciousness or emergent space-time, et cetera. Uh, whereas I can explain all these anomalies with one argument, a theistic worldview. So that makes my argument, I would say, more parsimonious. Uh, last and finally, many atheists reply by just appealing to logical positive or, or scientism and saying there's no empirical or physical observations of God, so we cannot posit God. But this is a self-defeating position because it's a philosophical presupposition that has no testable or empirical evidence to prove it, so it's self-defeating. Uh, so in conclusion, given the data, the best inference is there is a mind behind the universe we call God. Theism is more parsimonious, more plausible, and more probable, given the evidence I went over, and I'll conclude there. Thank you very much, Michael. We will switch back over to the dialogue boxes. And with that, this is, again, up to the debaters in terms of how much or how little they want to use. Mm -hmm. Destiny has a full 12 minutes available to him. So what is that, the, um, after the 12-minute thing, is the next phase the, the back and forth or whatever? Well, it's up to, if you guys would like to change it, I'm open to it, because Mike said he's kind of flexible on it, where it could either be eight-minute rebuttals, or if you guys want to just kind of dissolve that time into the open discussion, we could do that, too. Yeah, I'd rather just open discuss and, and run down these um, syllogisms, I guess, one at a time would be interesting. Yeah, sure. Got it. Okay, can we go back to the, let's go back to the digital the digital physics argument. Can you bring yeah, that you, up again? You, yeah, I can put the slide up here. You want sure. the syllogism? Sure. All right, let me find that here. All right, let me share my screen again. Okay, uh, there you go. Okay, let's run let's run these premises down one at a uh, one at a time. So simulations can only exist in a computer or in a mind. Why does this have to be true? Okay, can you offer another possibility that you know? Because if it's a false dichotomy, you need to offer another one that where a simulation could exist. A simulation could arise naturally in nature. How so? Do you have any examples of something arising naturally in nature that's a simulation? Um, uh, a parrot mimics speech of humans is a type of simulation, or... Um, well, that seems I, to be just broadening the definition of simulation. I'm talking in terms of like holographic principle ideas, the idea that information, ontological information of reality is, uh, you know, sort of projected out, like, but it's still emerging from underlying information. I mean, a parrot mimicking is more of just a mimic. If we want to Broaden what a simulation means, sure, but that's not how I'm defining it. Sure. What, can you tell me exactly what you mean when you say simulation then? Sorry, I said that one more time. So a simulation would be kind of like what I was building on when I talked about the holographic principle. So it's basically this idea that there is a reality uh, emergent from underlying information. So think of a hologram. Uh, when you see a hologram, there's not really a three-dimensional object there. It's really just some, some sort of information processing, causing lights to make it appear as though there's an object there. Uh, so it's basically this, basically in a nutshell. It's a three-dimensional reality emergent from underlying information. So it's not the physical matter itself that's there. It's just information that the appearance of physical matter appears to be there. What's the difference between a simulation and an illusion? Well, I mean, so illusion like, for instance, I'm something. curious, if I say something like a rainbow, does a rainbow count as a simulation or no? Well, no, no, that'd be, illusion seems like it'd be a broader definition. I think that's, would probably also cover the parrot thing. Uh, because, you know, the, a parrot is making the illusion that a person is talking. But illusion just seems like a, a broader, like, um, you know, appearance of something that could be there. I mean, if you want, I can get the actual definition of illusion. Okay, that's fine. All right. Um, okay, I, I guess under those definitions, and I can probably accept simulations can only exist at a computer in a mind, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. For premise two, so why do we, why would we say the universe is a simulation? Because it's okay, an emergent well, thing from underlying physical properties, or...? Yeah, well, this is the, the uh, so as you know, Sean Carroll starts, you know, space is obviously not fundamental. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, what we basically experience, space-time matter seems to not be fundamentally there when they weren't observers, or it's just not fundamentally there mm -hmm. in of itself. 
uh, they are basically the result of information processing underneath. So that would basically imply the universe either is a simulation or basically acts very much like a simulation. Would you say that in this case, would like consciousness be a simulation as well then? Only if materialism is true, because consciousness, I guess you could say is, depending on the physicalist form within philosophy of mind you take, you could say consciousness is like an emergent property of the brain. Now, I don't obviously take that view, but if would you say that like I, any physical object becomes an, an emergent thing then? So for instance, like I, I could argue that like forks don't exist in the universe. A fork is like an emergent thing that comes from underlying um, physical things. Like you could never discover like a fork like physically in the universe. It would only be well, like an emergent here's property. Here's the way I, I would word thing. it a little differently than what you basically said. Uh -huh. So I would say the fork is really there. And I would use the analogy, I use this all the time. It's an analogy of a video game. If you find a fork in a video game, it's obviously a real fork in that game. It holds to the rules of that game, but it's not really made of like a concrete matter per se. It's just information processing to give you the appearance of a fork. So I would say when you find a fork in this reality, it's basically that. It's emergent from consciousness. It's emergent from the underlying information processing. Yeah, I guess my, my problem, what I don't understand is it seems like we, we have this like, huge link between emergent must be simulated, but I, that seems strange to me because it feels like we have a whole bunch of universal categories that we recognize, or even particular categories or particular things we recognize that are kind of like emergent um, from underlying physical things that don't exist in and of themselves. So for instance, like the categories of male or female, these are like emergent things that we would say they kind of exist, but they really don't. You can't find them anywhere, right? Like um, well, so, that, but, that seems to be like an epistemic category more than anything, not, not, not something ontologically something that's be emergent. When you, so when you, say that, um, when you say that the universe is ontologically emergent, how is the universe being an emergent property of like underlying quantum spooky stuff? How is that emergent in a different way than like a human is an emergent property of the underlying physical characteristics? What do you mean underlying physical characteristics? So, or, or like the underlying, so like, for, um, so like if you would say like a human, like the existence of a human, like because we agree that space time and everything is, is an emergent property, the space is an emergent property. So would, would you also agree that like a human is like an emergent thing from like underlying uh, physical things? The, the human itself doesn't exist, but it's rather like an emergent property of underlying physical things or not? Well, I, would, I would say every physical aspect of us, the brain, our bodies are emergent. But I would not say our consciousness is emergent from the brain. I think consciousness is fundamental. So I would say you, the self-aware agent, is not emergent per se from the same way the physical is. But you interact in the physical reality. You have a physical avatar, so to speak. Okay. So then, okay. I'm sorry. This I have to wrap my head around this. Sorry, this is beyond me. So no I'm, I'm trying to Take understand. I'm trying to understand what is the difference between. So you you say that the universe is emergent in that like space is not fundamental right it emerges out of like quantum stuff essentially right uh, that's correct yeah yes. space time okay. specifically and because it's an emergent thing it therefore must be a simulation or type of simulation well i use simulation in this argument colloquially so i i'm using it because that's basically what we think of when we think of something that is emergent like a simulation type thing but i mean i could simply just reword the argument to say that you know like i'm you know well, I guess I'm yeah, I'm uncomfortable with simulation because simulation kind of implies purpose, which which kind of helps premise one, right? Like when, when you say something is simulated, like it almost seems like there, there's like a purpose or intentionality behind it. I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, no, I would I define simulation kind of like basically what the holographic principles just says, just something that is emergent, uh, emergent from underlying information processing. I don't think that necessarily implies purpose in and of itself. I'd have to argue that from you know, other areas, of course. Gotcha. Okay. And then... Why is it that, um, and then can you explain one more time? So I think I understand this. So why is it that like a human isn't emergent from underlying physical properties like carbon atoms and bonds and, and all of that stuff? Why is a human not emergent in that way? Well, I, I do think our bodies are, I wouldn't say consciousnesses. And this goes back to the argument I was going in the cosmic conscious argument. Uh, it's basically that there is no evidence that consciousness could emerge. And there's a lot of good evidence that would indicate consciousness is fundamental. When you say fundamental, like more so than the physical properties of the brain or... Yeah, I would say consciousness is more fundamental than the physical properties of the brain. Okay, that's a separate thing, so I'll just I'll write that down. Um, yeah, and th this goes back to what I was talking about in the third argument, but yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, can you go back up to the PowerPoint? Something like a premise. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, we're... sorry, I wanted to look at something else. Uh, mm -hmm. Wrong thing. There you go. Um, a simulation on a computer still must be simulated in a mind. Um, okay. Your your premise to support this was the idea that reality is like contingent on on minds existing. 
Well, I, there's two reasons I would argue this. For one, um, I think it would create an infinite regress because if we're simulated on a computer, that computer obviously implies physical particles that put together with the computer, which would also have the same, most likely would have the same underlying features of the same reality we have. So it'd have to be simulated on the computer and then so on, so on, so on. Uh, ultimately though, from other, other pieces I gave, like the correlations in um, quantum cognition, as mm -hmm. well as uh, the work in the correlation between neural networks and galaxies, that it's more likely that we're simulated via a mind. And that also, it ends the chain. It's like first cause type argument. Wait, so why do we, what are the similarities between neural networks and galaxies? How does that work? What do you mean by that? Okay, so for example, they talk about, you know, in information processing, the the ratio of information processing in their, in their studies, they show that it's basically about the same via ratio. Um, same with power spectrum analysis, total neuron to observable galaxies. And what they're basically arguing is they're basically like, the way a neural network works in the brain is kind of very similar to how the cosmic web of all the galaxies seem to operate. And so this is why- When you say similar though, like similar how? There's just a lot of information or, because I'm not aware of like galaxies processing information in the way that neural networks do. I know that there might be well, like a I, lot of stuff moving around, but I, I don't understand like what problems do they solve or what well, they, we things can't, do they compute? We can't, you know, show that the galaxy really is in you know, like a giant brain per se, but they're looking at just specific features of like, uh, processing power, power analysis. Um, I mean, so there is information in terms of like the physics that goes on through there, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, that, that kind of information is what they're referring to when it comes to the cosmic level of galaxies. They're not talking about mental properties here. Like you and I are, can, you know, have, do the act of knowing. They're not claiming that galaxies have the act of knowing. So there's a little bit of difference in there with sure. what they but refer to information I, processing. I guess that like this, 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 seems like a, a pointless or, or an arbitrary like comparison then like it feels like I could make a similar argument that like um, any sort of like interaction between two things broken down enough could could resemble that of a neural network so like an ant colony um, if I break down all the different neural links inside their brains and everything well these represent a neural network like what is the significance of saying like a galaxy can represent a neural network just because a lot of I guess physics takes place or information is happening well, okay, they're talking about the information taking place. Now, there have actually have been people who've said that, you know, ants actually do kind of work like a brain as well mm -hmm. uh, and how they operate. So what they're doing is they're not saying this proves a you know, galaxy is a giant brain. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying, though, is that if you're going to have something emerge from a mind, it's going to rese resemble that of a brain, like on the idealist. Because an idealist says basically that the, the brain emerges from the mind. And I'd have to explain a little bit more detail. I understand that without getting that from. Now, going back to the ant colony, I think that only helps my case because – Technically, an ant colony does emerge from brain power. I mean, ants have brain power and they're working, and they're creating this network. So it'd be the same kind of thing is that, you know, they sort of create this interesting cause, this interesting web of working together, like, you know, brain kind of does as well. So the same thing we would see with the, uh, what they're arguing is the same kind of uh, information processing, power spectrum analysis also works when you look at the cosmic web of galaxies. Okay, so what is the purpose of saying that like the 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 galaxy or the universe or whatever resembles like a neural network then if it's not purposeful? Is it just to say that there's so much information available that it must be emergent from a mind because there's so much information available or what, what is the purpose of that? No, I'm not saying there's so much information therefore it has to be a mind. I'm saying that there are correlations and resemblance. So the way that our brains and our minds sort of work together sort of resembles uh, very much what we see in the cosmic level of galaxies. We're not saying that, well, we can't explain all this information processing, therefore it has to be a mind. Uh, what we're saying is that if, if the universe was emergent from a mind, we would expect these type of correlations to show up, like total neuron, total observable galaxies, the same power spectrum analysis, that type of stuff. And so- Can you, real is, quick, just because I don't know, can you explain what is power okay. spectrum analysis? What does that mean? Uh, let me get up the exact definition from their paper because I don't want to misrepresent them. If you want to mm -hmm. give me a second. Sure. Uh, but one thing I do want to note is, again, this is secondary, as I said in my uh, in my opening thing. The main thing I was looking for was the correlations to quantum cognition because I think that's a far more stronger argument. And I wouldn't use this if the co correlation to quantum cognition were there. This is just sort of secondary. Okay. So let me pull this up really quick. And then I will get you the exact quote from this uh, article they wrote. And then they also, in this, they also, also cite different papers about other people who have sort of made this way. So uh, what they say is researchers regularly use a technique called power spectrum analysis to study large-scale distribution of galaxies. The power spectrum of an image measures the strength of uh, structural fluctuations belonging to a specific spatial scale. In other words, it tells us how many high-frequency and low-frequency notes make the peculiar spatial melody of each image. Okay, so um, it, it looks like it basically has to do with how information is, I guess, like clustered or around certain nodes, kind of. And then it I believe that's what like they're getting at, yeah. Yeah, okay, so 
Okay. I, I guess I just, I don't see, I, I feel like, I, I, I don't know because I don't have like this level of scientific knowledge, but I feel like I could probably find like a lot of other things in nature that kind of resemble these structures. Um, it basically just has to do with how information is clustered in a galaxy or in a brain. Um, these well, I mean, happen to look pretty similar, but I, I, I just don't know if that says anything profound. Well, I would, I would use that type of arguments as well, because again, like for example, the ant colony that emerges from, you know, living creatures that all obviously have brains. So I don't, I don't think that, I mean, you, I guess you have to find something purely natural, like, uh, like rocks or something that was doing that. It may throw some dents in it, I guess you could say, but ultimately though, the idealist, you know, is going to argue that the universe is emergent from consciousness anyway. But again, as I said, this article they wrote is secondary. My main argument was what I gave prior with the whole principle, the correlations of quantum cognition. I could throw this out and I could still make the argument is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. All right. And then what's the, uh, what's the next premise? Okay, uh, the uh, next premise. Uh, so simulation on a computer must also be simulated in a mind, as I was arguing. Therefore, the universe is a simulation in a mind. This mind is what we call God. And I want to make sure I clarify this for your audience. I don't. I always say this just God is just a title for what I'm arguing for. You know, we, there's a mind behind the universe. We call it God. Uh, there's a mind behind moral realism. We call it God. These are the arguments I always give. And so, <laughs> but I mean, it fits the same description if you read someone like Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. So, so God here could literally be like the matrix or some other type of brain in a vat simulation, it right? Could, theoretically, it, it, if you want to say a giant brain, sure. I mean, it probably still fit the argument. I would just say it's unnecessary because you know, just go with a mind. Just yeah, sure, okay. Um, so, so okay. So let me let me try to summarize all of this in a simple way, and then you can tell me if this is missing the point, sure. or you can do a summary yourself. But it, it sounds like we've identified that the universe itself or what we perceive to be the universe is not fundamental, um, that mm -hmm. it is rather an emergent thing from underlying properties, right? Uh, yeah, properties, information, one of the two. Yeah. So. Um, so it sounds like in order for things to be emergent or simulated, we would say that necessarily has to occur with a mind? Uh, ultimately, I think the philosophy does go back to that, yeah. Okay. Now, and obviously, then, that can't be scientifically proven, but it is a philosophical inference. Sure. And then both of these two things together seems to necessitate the existence of some type of mind that we can call God for this purpose, right? Yes. Okay. Um, fuck. I, I don't think I have like the, the the physics knowledge to like challenge these. I guess That's okay. so. On a, on a philosophical level, like the, the two questions I would ask are: Why did the physicists that that study this why don't they reach the same conclusions that you have related to theism sure that's a great question and and, and I, I don't expect you to, to you know I, I don't i didn't really want this to be a total gotcha i really just want to have a conversation about this and see if you can poke some holes in it mm -hmm. so you know even if you you know if you come back like six months later and we talk about it again maybe you thought it was something new you know that kind of stuff uh, but that's a great question now first there are physicists as i said here's a slide that do argue this uh, I rely a lot on people like Henry Stapp. Paul Davies became a deist because of information like this as well, as well as other stuff like with fine tuning. Uh, so there are physicists. Now, why don't every physicist do this? Um, I think it has to do with a lot of philosophy of science. So like when Einstein first came out with a lot of his theories, he were Wait, hello? Hi. Oh, I got him. I got to go. See you later. I'm back. Am I back? <laughs> yeah, yep. you're back. <laughs> okay, let me stop sharing. Maybe that's somehow the thing. Uh, so yeah, when Einstein first came up with equations, you know, he, you know, he rejected the philosophical implications, and it took people like Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre to really, you know, hone in and say this is what, this is what this means. Uh, same with a lot of stuff that goes on in like. For, so uh, I remember Stephen Barr cited a, uh, a survey done in the 1950s that two thirds of scientists, cosmologists specifically, still rejected the Big Bang even after uh, Edwin Hubble made his discoveries. And so you know, I mean. It, it, there's a great book called For and Against Method by Emery Lakatos and Paul Feyerbend. They're two philosophers of science. And one of the things they note is in philosophy of science, it's really not as we think it is. Like, so it makes a new discovery, everyone changes their mind. Because mm -hmm. sometimes discoveries correlate with numerous uh, uh, theories. So they note that in really in philosophy of science, there are degenerative research programs and progressive research programs. And over time, degenerative research programs go away. Uh, so for example, take evolutionary biology right now, uh, the modern statistics, neo-Darwinism, is sort of kind of a degenerate program. What it's, it's not being, it's not anything wrong with it. It's just incomplete. So a lot of um, biologists are now 
offering extended evolutionary synthesis. And they're progressive research programs. They're taking neo-Darwinism and they're adding to it, saying there's other mechanisms in evolution we can look at, like you know, natural genetic engineering, uh, evo-devo research, um, stress-induced mutations, these types of things. So uh, when a physicist you know, comes and says, you know, I, I don't agree the same conclusions, well, it's because there was different research programs at work. And ultimately, though, you know, we have to look at the evidence and try to find which research program is actually the best and the most effective in sort of explaining the, the data. And that's all I'm doing here. I'm saying this is the most parsimonious, most plausible, most probable. Is it is there ever a worry that we're playing like a very advanced version of like God of the Gaps that at some point we do discover like a fundamental like nature of the universe that maybe like string theory is real and we kind of like can fundamentally understand um, that that the universe isn't like emergent in an unknown way but every part of the uh, every part of space time or whatever can be traced back to you know particular vibrating strings or something would that threaten this theory at all? No, because I actually um, I've seen. A lot of people argue via string theory that this could also imply a mind as well. So Miki Okaku has hinted at that as well, that this could, this is wouldn't be really be, be a problem for theism. Um, mm -hmm. If that information happens, I'm willing to change. Uh, I hope I would. I mean, obviously, I'm, I watched your talk with Sean Carroll today. I thought it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about, you know, like we, we're not purely logical creatures like we pretend to be. Yeah, uh, but, you know, it, it's kind of hard. So I, I would hope that I would be able to help look at the data and change my view. Uh, so I'm currently changing my views on some things in anthropology right now. I have changed my views on some things with regards to biblical studies as well. I was not an idealist when I started my channel. So I'd be willing, hopefully willing to update my views as that happens. But as of now, I think this is the, the evidence is where it's pointing to. And unless there's new evidence that comes along or a better explanation, you know, I don't see any reason to not hold to the theory, just like we would hold any scientific theory today. Gotcha. Um, I'm kind of curious. Earlier, you mentioned about the brain emerging, or I'm sorry, the mind. No, the brain emerges from the mind. What do you mean by that? Can you explain that? Sure. So I'm an idealist. So let me just kind of explain with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So a materialist would say that there's just matter. Mm -hmm. Substance dualist says there's mind and matter and there's interaction. An idealist says there's mind and uh, matter is emergent from mind. Uh, so that's kind of how what I take because I'm an idealist. I say that, you know, that... Um, uh, what we see in the, the material world is sort of an emergent from uh, mind in that speak. So it's, uh, Donald Hoffman, a uh, cognitive uh, scientist, argues that basically the brain is a dumbed-down user inter interface symbol of a person operating in physical reality. This is a manifestation of the uh, software agent. It's just a physical manifestation in that sense. Mm -hmm. well, um, so in terms of the way that you define God here, so... Um... I, I, so I'm curious, this isn't really related to this. Do you have a particular brand of theism or no? Like, are you well, like I'm a, I'm a Christian? A, I am a Christian, yeah. But I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a theistic evolutionist. I'm also a personal preterist, if anyone knows what that means. Um, so I am a Christian theist, yeah. Using this particular argument for the existence of a God, and then let's say that we don't go down any particular theist route. Um, are, there, do you, are there any implications whatsoever to these ideas or... Well, sure. I think it provides illumination on a lot of things. Uh, I think it, how do I word this? I, I, so think I guess like maybe it, like, what is like one thing that, um, what's one thing that we might view differently as a result of having this type of underlying belief that the universe is emerging from a mind or something? Well, I think it would, it would, um, it could imply, now I don't say this could prove, but it could imply that um, uh, we have a, a, a little bit more of a special place. I, maybe that's not the wrong terminology, but more of a, a, a unique position life has a more unique position and that consciousness is not just the, the result of just, you know, a happy accident via the brain that we really are self-aware mm -hmm. agents that may have implications for free will. Or I just posted a blog post uh, written by a contributor to my ministry uh, on, my, on free will defending it. So I think it might imply free will. It might imply consciousness, it might imply real agents. Um, I would argue from other arguments based on similar data, this could imply life after death, that type of stuff. So there could be other implications, but I need to present more data, obviously. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So, cause I guess like, uh, cause I don't think, I mean, obviously you agree with this. I don't know if it's possible to reject um, the existence of a quote unquote God um, g given these set of premises. I, I don't think so, or at least I don't have the ability to, um, but I'm curious if, because right now in your argument, we've established, assuming everything is true thus far, we've established that the universe is, is likely to be some sort of simulation. Um, but that doesn't get us into any sort of like, god area yet like in a, in a traditional sense um so for instance let's say i want to believe that life has a purpose or that you know we have free will or something like it seems like we're pretty far from that or, or we haven't made any progress towards that in, in establishing the argument we have so far you think you can get to things like free, i'm curious so you think you can get to things like free will from this argument 
No, no. I presented arguments specifically for mm -hmm. God's existence. I would need to present more data. Um, I have a series called Case for the Soul that I'm going to mm -hmm. probably update soon because um, there's a lot more data I want to add. Again, it was, it was just posted on my blog, an article defending free will and arguments presented to defend free will on there. Uh, so I, I would argue be a starting basically from the idea that we are conscious software agents that are irreducible from that. And then I would argue for free will building on that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I guess, I, I mean, I can't, um, I don't think I could refute this argument, or at least not now. Um, if, if, if we define God as meaning, if we understand that our definition of God here includes anything from a theistic Christian loving God to um, where a brain in a vat that's the universe is being simulated for, um, th this argument can equally prove so far either of those two things. Um, I, I don't think I would reject either of those possibilities yeah i think yeah agreed yeah i'm only arguing for just basic theism as i said in the beginning because i'm a classical apologist and a classical apologist is not a presuppositional apologist i know you've had to deal with those people before yeah uh, but a classical apologist we argue first for a just god mm -hmm. in general just god and then if we can establish deism then we argue specifically for christianity building on things like resurrection argument new testament reliability old testament archaeology old testament reliability uh, which i'm currently working on right now uh, but so, yeah, I would just say these arguments obviously just show generally a theistic worldview. Gotcha. Okay. Um... And again, I, I, it's fine if you don't have anything else to say. I'm not, I don't, I don't want this to be a gotcha. I just want to share the information. Maybe think about it. Maybe we can have another conversation someday about it. Mm -hmm. uh, if, and, you know, I don't, I, I, res I respect that instead of just like the last guy I debated on this, just yelling, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah. I think, um, so like the, the, um, this is, it's more philosophy than science at this point for me to try to refute. Um, mm -hmm. I think the thing, I think the thing I have the biggest problem with is the idea that um, emergent properly, like the emergent property is like necessarily simulated, but, but I would have to formalize this. It would take me a while. I would yeah. think this. Never I think simulation it. and the argument is just a title. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm more focusing on the emergent idea. I'm sim I just use simulation because I think that kind of captures what people think okay. of. I mean, it obviously isn't the traditional simulation like you, you and I are going to make if we were to do make a computer game or something. Sure. I think um, just based on what you've said so far, I don't think uh, it or doesn't seem like you function in bad faith. Um, that, that's the impression that I have. Um, the, the only, I do have a little bit of an issue using words like simulation or God. Um, this is like very maybe pedantic, but they do seem to imply some sort of intent. Um, which kind of like weights it towards like a Christian argument later, if that's where you decide to go. Um, I, I don't think that I would necessarily disagree with any of the arguments that out so far, but I would be uncomfortable using the term simulation or God because there's like a heavy intentionality behind those things. Yeah. That's but, fine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, where do we go from here? Q&A maybe. Definitely do Q&A. So with that, thank you very much, everybody, for your questions. I forgot to mention at the start. Sorry. Super, as you know, I'm, I'm excited. If you have a question, you can fire it into the live chat. Also, if you have a super chat, it gives you a chance to make a comment toward one of the speakers that they would get the chance to respond to. And it'll also put your question at the top of the list during the Q&A. So with that, thank you very much for your questions. And I told you these guys are just authentic. I, I really appreciate you guys a lot. So, as I mentioned before, both of them are linked in the description. And with that, Stephen Steen, gosh, uh, Stephen Steen's our local benevolent troll. Thanks for your super chat. He says, I leave my wife just for a hug from James. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Steen says, um, if IP wins, atheists have to destroy their fedoras. That's very sweet, Stephen. Wikey, thanks for your super chat. He says, uh, Wikey9 says, Hey, IP, why do you think the physicists that you cite are in, unable to draw? I know this is a little bit... If you want to add to it, Mike, you could. I know that Destiny brought this up, uh, at least if this question is going where I think it is. If you if you want to say, well, ah, I already kind of covered it, you can. Why do you think the physicists that you cite are in, unable to draw out all of the conclusions from their research that you are able to draw? I don't know. I can't psychoanalyze everyone. Can't get inside their thoughts. But I mean, like, it's you know, sometimes I think a, go ahead. A, a really good answer that he gave earlier to that is that um, 
a, a, a lot. It's oh man, I'm making a big generalization here, but a lot of like hard science people don't really care much about philosophy. That seems to be mm -hmm. the case. So it's entirely possible that something under the investigations of physics lead you to some profound philosophical um, idea that you just don't know about or understand or care about because you're a physicist. So yeah, it's, it's entirely possible that somebody doing investigations into physics might uncover things that could inform philosophy, but either wouldn't know about it or wouldn't care about it because that's not their area of research. Right, and if you actually look at a lot of the research in quantum mechanics, the, the book called The Quantum Enigma, written by two physicists, they note that when a lot of the evidence came out, a lot of physicists just sort of ignored the philosophy of it and didn't talk about like many worlds interpretation versus orthodox or versus Bohmian. They just liked the Copenhagen because it was pragmatic, it was useful, it worked. Let's move on. I don't really care what that means. Gotcha. Oh, all right. Thanks so much. And Stephen Steen, a troll, <laughs> says atheists pronounce gif with a hard G. So we appreciate that. Is it what is the right way to say it? I feel like I don't know how to say it. It is because a hard G would be is that that's like GIF the peanut butter, right? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's stupid hard. <laughs> Steven. Okay. So uh, one question for Steven. I can't pronounce your name. Forgive me. It, it's in another language. But we appreciate your super chat. They ask, do you suspend judgment? Uh, do you suspend judgment on God's existence or? believe that no gods exist if either what are your reasons for either if you can you say that one more time you bet they said do you suspend judgment on god's existence or believe that no gods namely the proposition that no gods exist if either uh and i think he's saying whatever the case what are your reasons for taking that Oh, my, so I'm a materialist. So my um, position on God creatures or whatever has always been that if they do exist, we can't have information about them, that that information would be in, uh, inaccessible for humans. It has been my position, so. Gotcha. Thanks very much. Sigifredo Sarabia, thanks so much for your question. Glad to see you. IP, where is mind between ages? Sometimes these are a little bit challenging. Uh, let's see. It, Sigifredo is a deep-thinking person. They say, where is mind between ages one to three years of no recollection or after a brain injury? If the answer is waiting for the brain to mature or uh, that damage caused the person to, quote, not be the same, unquote, wouldn't matter produce mind. Okay, that's a great question. Uh, so one other thing I would make a distinction here is between mind and soul. Now, for the I, it, soul is a word that gets defined in many different ways, but for the purposes of this conversation, we can define a soul a little differently than a mind. So the mind is a self-aware agent, you know, conscious being. The soul, you could say, is your personality, your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, your goals. And that evolves and changes over time. I mean, your personality will be different tomorrow because new information was added to your memory. So souls do evolve over time. This is why some theologians talk about this as being a soul-building theodicy, that the, we are put here to build souls. Uh, so that's, in theology, that's how soul tends to be defined. I've in the past defined it as mind as well, but, you know, it's, a, it's one of those, you know, terms that gets thrown around a lot. Uh, so I would say that what's not evolving is the conscious agent that's always been there. What's evolving is the personality or their soul, so to speak, as they sort of age. And so, and the other thing about memory is just because you don't remember things, you know, that doesn't mean you weren't conscious at the time. I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. I don't remember everything I dreamt last night. Uh, but we do have actually studies that show that consciousness is still present in some of these uh, patients, even when they're under anesthesia, general anesthesia. And I can always link those if people ask me for them. So uh, we need to distinguish between maybe the conscious agent, the self-aware agent, and the information contingent on the agent, so the soul. So I would say the soul obviously evolves and changes over time. The mind does not. The mind is this conscious self-aware agent. Gotcha. Thanks very much. And next up, Carmel Bunk. Good to see ya. She's got a question for IP. She says, what do you think of recent studies trying to prove consciousness is from the brain? Oh, well, there, there hasn't been really good data when I was looking at some of those. So a lot of them are just looking for correlations. Uh, the problem is, is, you know, even as someone, I believe it was Daniel Dennett, but it could be wrong on that. But there's just no area of the brain that really does this. Uh, so he's trying to argue for like some sort of like global sort of thing of the brain that sort of somehow makes consciousness. It's very hard for them to try to, to do these types of things. What they're kind of finding is correlation. And even when they do, you know, shut down parts of the brain, there have been other studies that have come and said, well, no, there's still consciousness present here. And it's, you know, the other way. And I would also bet on, you know, people like, you know, David Hoffman, for example, sorry, Donald Hoffman, sorry. Uh, or, you know, it talks about what we're basically seeing here is correlations. You know, this is the conch. The brain is like the user interface symbol 
for the conscious agent in reality. So of course, if you, you know, do something with the brain, you're going to affect how the conscious agent is acting or working in the brain or acting and working in physical reality because that's the window into it. So uh, I would build on you know, other you know thinkers like that as well, researchers. Gotcha. Thank you very much. And Nathan Orman. See, oh, forgive me. I'm jumping ahead. I want to get this one first. This came in first. Our Father in the Green. Thanks for your super chat. They said, Ethics would be a good way to with Destiny. Saw Adam friended and Destiny's stream on morality recently. Really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. sure yeah, exactly. I just watched that too. It was good. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I would have. I was considering using the moral argument tonight, but you know, Destiny doesn't. I'm sorry, Stephen doesn't believe in um, objective morality or moral realism. So I would have to argue for that first, and then the moral argument. And I just was like, well, save time. I'll just do some other arguments. <laughs> mm -hmm. Gotcha. Excellent. And next up, King Yassin, if I'm pronouncing it right. Let me know if I'm not. They ask for IP. If AI advances to the point of consciousness, in parentheses, which I think is possible thanks to neural networks where virtual agents learn new things by themselves, would that disprove the existence of God? Well, I mean, it'd be kind of hard to show to begin with, but if you could, it wouldn't disprove the existence of God because I could still use digital physics argument or the introspective argument. It would have make challenges for the cosmic conscious argument already because you would show that you could create consciousness through you know, creating an AI type thing. Um, they also need to remember though, there's a, an argument given by uh, John Sear called the Chinese room argument or Chinese box argument, I forget what its official title is. But um, I talk about it in my second video on the a case for the soul series, refuting physicalist objections. Um, if you want me to explain it now, I can't, but at the same time, I can move on. Gotcha. We come back to it if they have a follow-up question. Sure. Yeah, but you can see it's in the video already, so you can see that. I am jumping through some of these questions just to try to get like an alternating kind of Q&A where we'll give some questions to Stephen as well. Stephen... Question from Eric Beerthaler. Thanks for your question, Eric. He says, what, what would convince Stephen that God is real? Um, I mean, my general problems is that, like, I, I would really like to see something happen in reality that is unexplained by the current scientific observations we have now that would require some either supernatural explanation or I don't know if I'd say metaphysical, but, like, like some sort of, like, extra physical explanation in order to, to get there. Um, I'm, I'm generally like not as excited about like fundamental nature of existence arguments that go way, way, way back to like, in order for us to even perceive anything, a God must exist. Um, mainly because I find these arguments e to be either, I don't want to say unverifiable, but like they, they, the, the claims they make are either so broad, like, well, we could be Brandon of or it could be the Christian God, or they're uninteresting and that they have no implication into the real world. So for instance, like I could, I could just easily believe all of these claims and it doesn't change anything about any of my beliefs or views of literally anything. Um, so yeah, I mean like that, that's, so the, the original question was what would it take to convince me of a God? Like being able to like show some scientific result over and over again, that's like, this is unexplainable using, you know, materialist understandings. You need a God to explain this. You need some sort of supernatural thing to explain it. I think that, that would like really start to push me in that direction, I think. Gotcha. Thanks very much. Next up, anybody said I missed your question, forgive me. I'm working on it. I think of, we're moving down the list well. And question for... IP, Nathan Orman, thanks for your question. He said, uh, IP, do you argue from perception or idealism? It's part of, so perceptions, for example, like what we perceive, I would argue that that can be reduced to uh, information processing. So take David Hume's bundle theory. Uh, so David Hume says, if you look at a physical object, you can describe it all by its properties. You take an apple, it's color green, it's got the shape of an apple, it's this level hard. All of that is described via properties. If you take all the properties away, do you have a physical object there? Well, he says, no, you can't even think of such a thing. So basically, I would I take that one step further, and I would say that all, all the physical things we see physical can be described via information. We can describe all its properties. It's basically mental experiences like qualia, taste, smell, sounds. So it's likely that that's all it is. Why would we posit another substance beyond mind uh, when can all be explained via idealism. Gotcha. Thanks very much. I did miss a couple of super chats. Sorry about that, friends. Uh, our father in the green, he asked a question earlier. His, the question that I mentioned earlier was actually his kind of part B to this original question, he said. He said his original question was more... 
focused on would both Destiny and IP or Mike Jones ever have a stream with the English philosopher Gary Edwards, especially with Destiny on quote scientism. I won't, because uh, he uh, tried to uh, do a video response one time and was incredibly rude, dishonest, and there's no. I don't want to have a conversation with anyone like that. I, I look at these as like a, a courtesy. I do them with people I respect. I, I respect Stephen, so I would love to have conversations with him. But I don't have conversations with people to get rude and insulting. Gotcha, Stephen. Are you familiar with? Let's see, I think that was the one in which they were saying that Stephen ethics with that gentleman would be good too with you, Destiny. If if you uh, happen to know the gentleman. This is related to scientism. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of piecing it together myself. It says, uh, would, would Destiny have a stream with the English philosopher Gary Edwards? And they're asking yes about, especially with Destiny on scientism or ethics. He's an actual philosopher guy that does scientism? I'm not sure. I could, but I, I, I mean, I've looked at scientism seems like a, like, that seems like the big meme where you say like I, I don't know scientism is really stupid to me, um, but maybe someday I'll talk to him about it. I don't know. So scientism is basically like you know like I've studied physics so fucking hard I realize all the philosophy is pointless and I can see everything in like my telescope, right? Like I, I don't know. That, I'm being like very very uh, rude in my characterization <laughs> of it, but scientism seems like really dumb to me. Scientism always seemed to me like an idea where scientists were too lazy to do any philosophical homework, so they thought that they could just assume all of philosophy um, through like observational data or whatever, which seems like absurd to me because philosophy kind of has to come before science but for more on that see uh steven's conversation with sean carroll oh yeah. sure wait so sean carroll isn't a scientist or, or he's not like a scientism guy right no 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 he's not yeah. no he's yeah, great, okay he's yeah, great, yeah. yeah okay yeah gotcha thank you very much james hope thanks for your super chat says and the brain's got a boot thanks we noted canderman thanks for your super chat says both uh for both steven and ip do minds think and can thinking occur without time? For the first one, yes. And for the second one, depends on what you mean by thinking. You mean processing information? No. I mean, because, you know, that would quite imply time and thoughts coming before one and the other. Gotcha. Am I supposed I to answer that? I don't know if... Um, I, this goes a little beyond me. I don't know if I believe it in, in time necessarily. Um, like, things happen... Um, things just happen, but in terms of like how we are specific demarcations, this is a second, this is a minute. Um, I, I don't know if time exists actually in that fashion, or if humans have just like developed a system that we kind of impose on the world in order to keep track of events. Um, so, I mean, like if you say like, do we need time? Like, do we need events to happen one after another to process information? I mean, I would say yes, necessarily, but I don't know if that means that I believe like in the concept of time. Like, I don't think there's like a specific demarcation of time like humans have imposed on the universe. Gotcha. Next up, Apologetics. Apologetics, thanks for your super chat. They ask, what do either of you think of the modal ontological argument? I use it. I think it's valuable. I just people need to recognize the limitations of it. It should show that uh, existence of a maximally great being would be logical, but it doesn't prove one exists in the real world. It should just show that, well, basically, you basically argue given every logical construct of reality, one would have to contain a maximum great being, so it's logical to view their actual world that way as well. Gotcha. Dennis VR, thanks for your... Oh, well, we'll come, we'll come back to the other one. IP, do you want God to be real? They're asking like if it's up. exactly what it says. Motivated reasoning, yeah. Right. <laughs> Everyone has motivated reasoning. I'm sure yeah, there's parts of me that wants God to be real, and there's parts of me that doesn't. Uh, I some days wake up and go, God, I just kind of wish I could be an atheist and not deal with this and I could just go and run, you know, play the stock market and not worry about this stuff. And some days I'm glad God, I, God exists. Uh, it depends. People are complicated. You just can't sum everything down to just one motivation. Are there motivations of playing everybody? Yeah, I obviously have them. I'm not going to sit and pretend I'm completely unbiased. But, um, you know, it depends on the person. I just remind myself of Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Gotcha. King, let's see, what that one? Epic Christ, thanks for your question. They asked, IP, aren't you transcend a transcendental idealist? I, need to, I don't ever define myself that way. I call myself a dual aspect idealist. I don't know what they mean by trans, but what, what that actually means, though, because I never use that term to describe myself. You betcha. 
And then I'm going to try to read, try to find if we have enough questions where we can go back, uh, both Stephen and IT. We'll keep going with the Q&A. Otherwise, I'm kind of coming up short. And I don't want to only have questions for IT. So, we see. What do both speakers, TrueGamer69, thanks for your question. They ask, what do both speakers think about the athe uh, about atheistic moral realism? I mean, well, there, first, there are ways to have more realism as an atheist. I don't know. I mean, like, there's a lot of different, like, moral realist ideas that don't require God. That's pretty broad. Sorry, God. Well, I think moral, the thing about so moral realism is metaethics. When you mm -hmm. when you make a moral argument, you enter into moral ontology. They're different areas. So you can be a moral realist and be an atheist or a theist. Uh, it, it depends on how you ground morality, I guess you could say. How are you yeah. grounding moral facts? Um, I, 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 I love when I meet another uh, an atheist who's a moral realist because then we can have a we at least agree on something. You know, people people like to find people you agree stuff on. So I don't know. I, I like them. I did a collaboration video with a uh, atheistic moral realists on critiquing error theory one time. Gotcha. Maybe just a few more. We have a question for Destiny from I'm gay as heck. Well, thanks for your question. <laughs> As there are plenty of mysteries that currently cannot be explained by science, such as what dark energy is. Wouldn't that mean you have to believe in God according to you? There's a difference between saying we don't have an explanation for something versus in order to explain something it requires or necessitates like uh, some supernatural entity. Just because we don't understand how something works doesn't necessarily mean that you know it has to be a greater power to do it. Like there have been plenty of things in the past history of humanity that we don't know how they work and then we've discovered how they work and it hasn't required like a supernatural power to explain them. And I would expect that trend to continue, although maybe it won't. But. Gotcha. Sigifredo Sarabia, thanks for your super chat. Just flew in. Uh, this is interesting. Both obligated to stop suffering. I think they're saying, like, if you both believe that we are obligated to stop suffering, why not be vegans? Well, I mean, I think you have to show. Uh, so, actually, I would refer people, surprisingly, to a video when um, someone named Vegan Gains called into the atheist experience and talk to Matt Dillhunty about this. And I thought Matt Dillhunty gave some pretty good answers to that. We're not morally, he doesn't, I don't think we're morally obligated to stop eating animals. Uh, I don't think we have an obligation to be vegans. And I think, I was surprisingly found myself agreeing with Matt in that little back and forth they had. I thought he gave some pretty good answers to there. Gotcha. And Stephen, you've crossed, I remember I've seen a debate where you've crossed swords with vegan games before. Yeah, I don't believe we have like an obligation to reduce all suffering. That's not like something that I believe in. Betcha. Next, we'll probably have this be the last one just because we are a lot for IP. Don't get me wrong, folks. You can find both of the speakers in the description if you want to shoot them an email or a tweet. But uh, last one from Nathan Ormond. Thanks. This is for both. Nathan asks, who was Jesus of Nazareth? Um, a guy that may or may not, I think he existed probably, um, who fa fancied himself to be like a prophet or something that, I mean, I'm not religious, so obviously I don't believe he had any supernatural anything. So, I mean, I, I'm convinced that Jesus was a real human that existed, but was also the incarnation of God himself. So the son, it was the son of God. I'm not Christian, so of course. So. Thank you, gentlemen. One more, because it just came in and it is for both of you. I love this question. Uh, what are both of your thoughts on fine tuning arguments? Um, I'm okay with it. I think it's a good probabilistic argument. You just have to recognize what it is. You're arguing probability, and you have to you have to obviously deal with the um, other possibilities like physical necessity or chance to argue that basically design. And best you can say from it is that there's a designer. Uh, but again, you can't really say who or what. It's a simple natural natural theology argument. I would use it secondarily with a contingency argument. Gotcha. I don't like the fine-tuning argument because I feel like it supposes the universe can only exist the way that it does now. Um, it's hard to conceive of a universe that could exist in a different way. But the fine-tuning argument argues that, like, or, or my understanding of it is basically that, like, life can only exist if certain conditions are like set to pretty exact, you know, specifications. But the reality is, is that maybe it could have been set far differently, and another type of life or another type of world could have emerged that we just can't really think of right now. Um, so I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you very much. With that, I want to say thanks for being here, everybody. Uh, being here, everybody, has been a blast. Thanks for your questions. And also want to let you know, as mentioned, both of the speakers have a link in the description. So 
One last final thanks to the speakers who made this possible today. It's a lot of fun, a great conversation. And uh, maybe maybe in the future, it'd be fun to have both of you guys back. We'd uh, really enjoyed having you guys on. You guys have helped us out a lot in terms of uh, the channel growing, new people being introduced to it, and more importantly, just the, the conversation, just getting to hear you guys' creative thoughts. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks. You bet. With that, take care, everybody. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.